The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Expect the unexpected. You're taking off on a flight you'll remember as long as you live. Legion 2601. Legion 2601, Hey, we have to declare an emergency. We have 160 souls on board, 4,500 pounds of fuel. We have a right main landing gear indication that it is not down and locked. Legion 2601, Roger. And do you want to return to the airport this time? That's You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 94 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on Tuesday, November 9th, 2021 from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, we will explore the FAA's intention to have CFIs stop using PTS, or Practical Test Standards, as an evaluation tool and replace it with ACS, or Airman Certification Standards. We also discuss 19-year-old Zara Rutherford and her world record attempt to become the youngest woman to fly solo around the world. And yes, he's back, Jetpack Man. We have an update on the Southern California sightings. American Airlines also recently announced that it has increased flight attendant holiday pay by 300%. After a recent operational meltdown, we will have our analysis on what we can expect this holiday season. And in a pandemic milestone, U.S. ends international travel ban, opening the door to vaccinated tourists. This is a huge step forward for aviation here in the U.S., all this and more on board Flight 94 of the Squawk Ident Podcast. Let me just take this opportunity to again thank Jonathan Gruber and Colonel Terry Schooler for joining us on Flight 93, moderate or greater. Rob, Captain Roger, and I enjoyed hearing about John's progress with his Lance Air build and speaking again with Colonel Schooler. It was fantastic. Thanks again, gentlemen. Now that our pre-flight is complete, let's get ready to push off the gate and start those virtual podcast engines. Flight 94 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Assisting at the controls on today's flight is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his mobile podcast studio high atop the fifth floor of the Hyatt Place Hotel in Fort Myers, Florida, where he is recovering from an unforgiving flight schedule. Fresh from a nearly perfect landing after an RNAV visual on runway 6 at Southwest Florida International Airport, or KRSW. Help us in welcoming our very own Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, Tony. I'm doing good, man. Hey, I got to correct you on that. It was two perfect landings on the same try because when I landed, we bounced a little. 
came up, came back down. So yeah, it was nice and soft, but it was just great. Yeah. It's good to be back, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. And good to hear from you. Good to see you. And yeah, did you get to count those as two? <laughs> I would think so. It's a touch and go in it. <laughs> I guess it's an attempted landing. So that's uh, all that counts. So there you go. Know. Way to keep current, my brother. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's, so what's, what have you been up crazy. to? You've been uh, flying uh, quite heavy schedule from what i hear i have i have i uh just been flying these three-day trips which uh which is what i w- was awarded f- uh for our you know monthly bidding schedule and uh you know it's been kind of the first or second month that uh, i guess it's the second month that i've been doing this uh mainly because i wasn't able to hold them before i always got four-day trips um every now and then you get that red eye with the fifth day in it but um so it's been kind of nice to get three-day trips because you get a lot, you know, they're pretty efficient. You get a lot done in three days. Um, and then, of course, just to try to line up some days off, uh, you end up backing trips uh, back-to-back. So that's kind of what I did. And uh, so I'm, I'm at the end of, like, the second week or third week of – actually, third week of three days, one day off, three days, one day off, three days, one day off. So uh, tomorrow can't come soon enough because uh, after tomorrow I'll have about – Let's see, one almost a week and a half off. So, oh, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of trying to set myself up for. I wouldn't call it the inevitable meltdown of the holiday travel thing, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to set myself up so I have some time in my schedule that I can maybe pick up some uh, premium flying. So, yeah, yeah it's funny because I, I think I'm I'm. Got it planned kind of in the same uh, strategy. I, I've yeah. had two weeks of vacation, and unlike how it was over at Sandpiper for us, when you're on vacation, you can't pick up. You can't double dip. Right. So here at Mainline, when you're on vacation, you're on vacation. You're off the schedule. You're not allowed to pick up. You can't. Um, so I've had two weeks right. of vacation. This just happens to be what my seniority could hold in terms of vacation the first two weeks of November. And, you know, I... <laughs> I've gotten a lot done around the house. Uh, my schedule's yeah. been crazy, filled with all the projects that I've been putting off for <laughs> months, if not years. <laughs> uh, a lot of painting and a lot of uh, construction going on. Um, but it's nice uh, to have that time off. I I feel your pain with the three on, three on and one off. Uh, you really never kind of catch up because it takes yeah. about a day to kind of recover and get back into the into the home life schedule. And then you're turning around and packing a bag and going right back at it. So yeah, exactly. What I normally get done in three days, I've had to compress into one day and, you know, even then had to just pick the uh, super important stuff that, you know, family time and (laughs) laundry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, here we are. And then of course, volleyball never stops. So fitting that in, (laughs) you know, the one day a week. So it's like, Oh geez. Yeah. So come to work to get a break. That's basically what it is. That's it. Well, welcome back. Um, and uh, I'm on vacation until Sunday, and I'll be doing the same thing. I'm going to put myself on that premium list because I'm sure that there will be plenty of open trips uh, this holiday season. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here later on in the show. But also right joining us today is an exceptional aviator. 
He is a professional CFI IIIMEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Falcon 900 and 2000 commander, a captain and corporate operator as well. He joins us fresh off another weekend trip. This last time was from the shores of West Palm Beach, Florida. Man, talk about living the high life. From his studio, from somewhere in San Diego, California, please help me in welcoming to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Well, as you heard, uh, you know, a little bit of vacation time on my end. I've been spoiled to be here at home and not doing much work. How about yourself? You've been flying only on the weekends or what? Yeah, it's been a lot of, I think, for the last four weeks, Four week weekends straight. I've I've been flying over them, three days or four day trips, and I actually have another weekend trip coming up this week, and having like a couple, two to three, and this week four days off in the middle. But yeah, it's been for whatever reason because it's not usually like this, just weekend trips, and um, you know, kind of like you guys, I work you know really hard. Um, I flew one leg out to West Palm Beach, and I sit there for two or three days. And then I fly one leg back. And it's exhausting. Let me tell you, it was exhausting. Yeah, and the weather in West Palm Beach this time of year, I heard it's terrible. Well, actually, it did. It was not that great while we were out there the first day. Because we got there, you know, flying West Coast to East Coast. Um, you're losing the three hours. So we got there actually mid-afternoon. And that first day was okay. And then that night, it rolled in. And for the next 24 hours straight, it rained. It's like something out here in California. We it like it, it kind of blew my mind. It, it poured frequently, yeah. but it then did not stop for 24 hours. And then the next day was windy. And then we came home the next day. So it actually wasn't the greatest weather while we were out there. So I will I will say that, that it wasn't completely paradise on Earth. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, make me feel bad about yeah. saying how spoiled you are. Yeah, right now. <laughs> Well, today's a, today's a good show. I mean, we've had uh, some really nice shows here uh, recently. We've had some opportunities to interview some fantastic aviators, and I want to thank you gentlemen again for joining me on those. Um, you know, Kyle, again, is, is got a crazy schedule. Unfortunately, couldn't make it today on today's show, but we look forward to having him join in on a future episode. Now, first thing I wanted to get into, let's, let's talk about this FAA decision. Now, I read this article and I thought this is interesting. I had not really heard this before, but I really am not that connected to uh, general aviation flight training. It's been so many, it's been over a decade that, or more than a decade and a half actually, since I was flight training and, and, and a CFI myself. So I found it interesting. Now, I read this article from Flying Magazine, uh, and it's an article written by Meg Glowiski. It was published on November 2nd, and we'll put a link in the show notes. It's entitled, FAA Moves Ahead with Airman Certification Standards for CFIs. Now, the article went on to say that teaching people to fly should incorporate risk management. Yet currently, the test standards for CFIs do not contain a mechanism for evaluating the applicant's judgment towards risk. This will change with the release of the Airman Certification Standards, for CFIs, a document currently in development. And it's important to note that the date for the release has not been set yet. 
However, last month, the FAA held a meeting with the ACS Working Group made up of stakeholders in the aviation training industry. The big difference between ACS and the PTS, that is uh, that the ACS contains tools to evaluate the uh, applicant's judgment. And uh, that's what uh, David St. George, Executive Director of the Society of Aviation and Flight Educators, a.k.a. SAFE, another acronym for you. Uh, They, along with the National Association of Flight Instructors, or the NAFI, are carefully watching the development of the ACS for instructors. David St. George, a designated pilot examiner, or DPE, has seen his share of pilots who had the skills and knowledge required to fly an airplane, but perhaps did not understand the risks involved and therefore had questionable judgment. He stated that they had the skills, they had the knowledge, but it was very apparent that the applicant had no judgment when it came to evaluating risks. The ACS gave the examiners the ability to evaluate the applicant's judgment. This is kind of a, I'd say, a step forward, not unlike what we saw uh, at the airline level uh, with AQP coming in with scenario-based training and scenario-based simulator uh, programs. Now, the, the article goes on, uh, I'll just read one more portion, that the FAA's FAQs on the change from PTS to ACS notes the latter enhancing safety by using the risk management section in each ACS area of operation to translate special emphasis items and abstract terms like aeronautical decision-making into specific behaviors relevant to each task. The change from PTS to ACS actually began back in 2011 as the FAA revamped the knowledge test for many pilot certificate levels, removing outdated and irrelevant questions. This process evolved to address the practical test, and in 2016, the ACS for the private pilot airport airplane certification was released. Among the changes was the definition of slow flight, as well as the way slow flight was performed. No more requirement to have the stall warning horn actuated during the entire maneuver. The ACS also saw the addition of scenario-based training, the idea being to create a situation where the pilot has to make a series of decisions to affect a positive income of the flight. Uh, again, the link will be in the show notes if you want to read the rest of the article. But like I mentioned, it sounds like AQP development is now reaching into part 61 and part 141 flight training. So, Roger, yeah. as, uh, as an active CFI, double I and MEI flight instructor, what, uh, you know, you said you've seen this. It's not uh, the first time you, you've heard about this. What can you tell well, us about it? Well... Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, I, to, to say I'm an active CFI might be a little bit on the generous side. Um, but, I, I, you know, obviously I did have my foot in the training industry for a while. And then also I think that this is a little bit different and outside of what you guys have been been used to because you guys have been doing the AQP thing for so long. And actually, this is not uh, this is not actually new. I've been actually training for under AQP for each of the last, um, I don't know, four, I guess, four type ratings that I've done. So there was, um, there was no PTS for the ATP check ride. It's, it's gone to the ACS. I think the, the private was the first one that did it kind of, you know, as you were reading the article, because they were introducing this scenario based training 
Um, and I do think that it is a good thing. And, and what this is, is now it looks like that the, that the, t the practical test for a flight instructor is now going to be done under the ACS instead of the PTS. And the big thing I think with that is because if you kind of look at it or think about it, you've got a private pilot that's going and that they're training under, under the ACS of which you had said that there's this simulation judgment based approach to it. Except now we're kind of saying having a a, um, a flight instructor teach to the ACS and the simulation based. Except they weren't being examined on it themselves because the check ride that they have been taking up till now and until this actually goes into effect, they've been training under the PTS, and so they were instructing something that they haven't actually been tested on. And so I think that this is 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 probably definitely probably a good thing. Um, for many reasons, you know, the ACS, I think, is a step over the PTS. The whole stall recovery is the and the new way that everybody recovers from stalls now came from the ACS. And a lot of this came from that um, Colgan crash up in Buffalo back in 2009, as I recall, um, where we just kind of looked at a different way to train pilots. And it's, you know, I've always said that, I mean, if you really get down to it, you can teach almost anybody how to manipulate the controls of an airplane. You know, landing is is something that everybody thinks about, but in the end, landing is just something that if you do it enough, you you can get to the point where where anybody can take off, fly, and land an aircraft. But really, what se separates pilots and and why we have to have the training that we have is when things don't go the way that they're supposed to, and that's where that whole judgment comes into play. Is like every accident that anyone ever talks about, we talk about the, the chain. And if you break that chain in every point, well, that's a scenario. That's a situation. That's something that, you know, at what point are you able to, to say, look, this is from a risk-based standpoint, this is not where we want to be. And we need to change something. And that's why we, we stress now, if you're doing a, a circle to land approach, which is what some, what typically we do in the part 91 type rides if you're doing a circling approach and it looks ugly go around try it again that's that scenario based risk based thing we don't want you just trying to put it down trying to impress the examiner to 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 pass the to check the box for our circle to land approach we want you to make a decision a risk based decision that says hey let's this is not looking good this isn't stable let's just come around and and try it again and that's looked upon much much more favorably now than it was 15 or 20 years ago yeah you know, and, and Rob, it's been a while, but, uh, you know, do you ever remember this change from the PTS or, or has it always been PTS for you? No, actually, I don't, I've, this is the first I've heard of it. Um, it's always been PTS to me, but, you know, kind of like, I'm kind of like you've been far removed from the uh, general aviation world and, um, you know, all the changes that have been going on, but you know, just hearing this and, um, you know, kind of agreeing with with most of the things that the FAA does, you know, anytime they make changes, it's, you know, for the better and it's always safer. And I like to I do like that they're incorporating, you know, the evaluation and um, training as, as far as judgment and risk management, because, you know, I, when when all of us were, were training, uh, you know, getting our private instrument commercial, there was always a little bit of judgment that uh you know you had you had to demonstrate to your cfi um and making decisions but that was never something that was evaluated 
Um, and it was never actually taught, you know, they just, it was just kind of a, um, it was kind of more of a, uh, uh, you know, Hey, this is how I would do it. Or this is, you know, this is the way that it has always been done. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Yeah. It may have never been correct or something like that. So it's going to be kind of interesting to see how, how, um, you know, the, they actually evaluate and teach judgment, you know, per the, uh, the new, what do they call it? ACS standards. So, um, you know, that and many other things looks like a great advancements in training. So I, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And I can remember having issues with one student in particular, uh, all those years ago. And I, of course, you know, when you're a new flight instructor and you come to a new job, uh, you have the other flight instructors usually throw you a bone and give you a student or two that they've been working with. Yeah. And depending on their workload, they'll be like, yeah, here, have this student, you know, you're, you're going to be taken over. And of course it's always the, the students they didn't want to deal with or they have, were having trouble with. <laughs> yeah. And and of course my first student, I had two or three thrown at me and my first student was an issue. And the issue was a very intelligent student, um, middle-aged woman who really wanted to get her private and instrument ratings uh, was working for a big aeronautical company uh, in the Phoenix area. And she was like, I read the jet book cover to cover. And and this is, you know, I don't really need to be here. I just need to put in my time so you can sign me off. And I just need you to sign me off so I can go take the test. I'm like, well, why don't you let me, I love those, you know, evaluate <laughs> and let's see if those you know, are, those are money makers. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a CFI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes yes. Uh, sometimes they're more of a headache than anything else. But you know, so I yeah. said, "Well, let's go up." And we went up a few times, and she was insistent that she was ready to take the test. And but I saw some areas that were going to give her trouble. Um, back then, what we did was we would say, "Okay, you're going to do a, an evaluation because." Uh, you know, you have to go up with either a senior flight instructor or the assistant chief or the chief pilot and go up and you will get a stage check is what they call them. And then from there, you got, you know, a different set of eyes on, on the student and then they can come up together with a plan on how we can get this student to pass the test. Um, and there was really no avenue for this assessment of of risk that there is now. So man, my hat's off to the FAA for adopting this program. Um, it really seems like now there's an avenue that is defined and set that uh, will give CFIs a better tool to help in this evaluation of risk assessment uh, in a candidate. That's the other kind of big thing that it goes before that PTS. The PTS was something that we looked at pretty much right before the check ride and said, okay, this is, this is the document that tells you whether you are going to pass or whether you're going to fail this check ride. But you didn't really look at that until the very end of training. Whereas now the big push is in integrating that ACS from the beginning of flight training, because it's much more of a, do a, a, a living document, if you will. Um, not that it changes, but something that they want you to, to be involved with from almost, you know, day maybe two day two and onward in your flight training, because, Hey, it's not just, this is, this is what a stall recovery to pass a check ride looks like. It's what is a, what is a stall? How does a stall develop? 
And then, and then the recovery from that, from a much more of an understanding and a risk-based standpoint than it is just, okay, we'll install your undercover within 100 feet, um, 100 feet of your starting altitude along with all these, all these other criteria, and we've moved away from that. So it's something that they, they want the instructors to incorporate from the very beginning of flight training now instead of just this, this is the pass or fail master document yeah. on whether you're going to pass or yeah. fail. Yeah, it's one thing yeah. to perform yeah. a maneuver uh, within so many knots and so many degrees and all this stuff. And it's another thing to put somebody in a kind of an ambiguous situation to where they have to first recognize what's happening in order to then work through the procedures for recovery for that maneuver. Yeah. Well, it, the other thing I wanted to highlight, um, which was pretty cool to see. Um, I saw this uh, a few weeks ago and then I read a recent article and I've been following this young lady on Instagram, following the progress. Um, and uh, this pilot, this 19-year-old pilot is making a world record attempt to fly around the world. And she's going to turn some heads if she is successful. From an article, from again, from Flying Magazine by Michael Wild, uh, dated November 2nd, entitled, Pilot Attempting Around the World Flight Hits the Halfway Point. 19-year-old Zara Rutherford is aiming to become the youngest woman to fly the trip solo around the world. The article goes on to say, after being grounded in the gold-rushed city of Nome, Alaska for nearly a month, Zara, the 19-year-old Belgian, who is on a quest to become the youngest woman to fly solo around the world, has made it to Russia, reaching the halfway point of her trip. In a short video posted on social media on Monday, Rutherford's frosty breath illustrated the biting 24 below zero temperature that greeted her in the Yikes. city of Andner. And Anadar? Anadar. I don't know. After her safe passage across the Bering Strait. Huh. The composite-built Shark Aero Microlight that Rutherford is flying is a high-performance two-seat tandem ultralight aircraft with retractable gear and a two-bladed variable pitch propeller. It is powered by a Rotax 912 ULS 100 horsepower engine, which allows it to achieve cruise speeds of up to 140 knots, one of the fastest in its category. Rutherford has now crossed the international dateline. According to her website, she'll require 30 more stops to complete her trip. Early Tuesday, Rutherford made it to Mad Mat to <laughs> Russia. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Magadan. Hi. After a six-hour, 25-minute flight over the Siberian Arctic tundra from Anadir, from Russia, Zara will fly to Korea, Indonesia, India, the Middle East, Europe, and back to Belgium, where she plans to arrive in December. You know, this sounds a lot like one of Roger's trips. Yeah. Anyway. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe without so many stops. Holy mackerel. Zara is 77 days into a trip that was originally planned to last 45. Compounding weather delays caused Rutherford's initial Russian visa to expire, grounding her in Nome. The current record holder, shot, oh boy, Shaista Wise, completed her own trip in 2017 at age 30, taking 145 days to do so. 
owing in part to her planned outreach events via her nonprofit, Dream Soar, but also as a result of various weather and mechanical delays. Earlier this year, 18-year-old Travis Ludlow from the United Kingdom earned the record of youngest man and person to fly solo around the world, which he was able to do in 44 days. Should Rutherford complete her trip, she would reduce the male-female gap from 11 years to 11 months. Wow, that's pretty good. Yep. Additionally, she will be the first woman to circumnavigate the globe in a micro light and the first person from Belgium to do so in a single-engine aircraft. Rutherford had more than 130 solo, solo hours logged prior to the departure on the flight. Yep, that's what Roger said. That's amazing. I mean, can you imagine? You have 120 hours of, or 130 hours of solo. Let me just stop you right there. No. No, I cannot imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. No. <laughs> I know. I was, I was scared at, at 100, what is that, 130 solo hours? Okay, yeah. maybe I could fly within the state of California. Right. And I was scared to go outside of that. Because <laughs> you're familiar were, with the airspace and the terrain and everything like that. And, and I use the word familiar somewhat lightly at that point. Right. Time. But, but right. yeah. And, and she's doing ocean, international. Oh. My yeah. visa expired because my plane broke in minus 25 degree temperatures. No, <laughs> no, I cannot imagine. Just I'm just I stopped there. And yeah. I, I'm, Im- well, I'm impressed. I, I'm beyond impressed. Very, very impressed. Congratulations. Yeah, very um, you know, yeah. I'm flying Zara on her Instagram page. Uh, you can also uh, follow along either from her website or uh, you can follow her on Instagram at FlyZolo, Z-O-L-O, FlyZolo, one word, on Instagram. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for the uh, Flying Magazine story that we just uh, reviewed. And I'll be keeping an eye on this because this is for 19 years old, you know, amazing, amazing. And we're all rooting for you here at the Squawk Ident podcast. Definitely. Good luck to you. Fly safely. Be safe. Yes. Yeah. And stay warm. Stay warm. Don't forget that. Absolutely. (laughs) 19 years old. I don't know what the rules are in uh, Russia, but uh, vodka will warm you up. It's a lot easier if you just go to the North Pole, maybe go south of the North Pole about 10 miles and just, you know, do once around the North Pole at 10 miles. And you can say you've been around the world and you probably break the world record. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead. <laughs> I think you figured it out, Rob. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're all excited to, to see her progress. And you know what else gets me excited, gentlemen? Jetpack Man. I thought you were going to say vodka. Uh, no, vodka and I are not friends. <laughs> Jetpack man. Can you believe that he's back? Well, oh, not really. Turns out, could it be a balloon? Well, here we have uh, a NBC4 iTeam exclusive. Now at five, Jetpack mystery solved. After months of investigation, the iTeam has uncovered new images that may have cracked this case. Good evening, I'm Chuck Henry. And I'm Colleen Williams. Three pilots have reported seeing something flying near their planes in the past year, and investigators have been struggling to find a clear explanation. 
Now look at this. There is a startling new image that may be steering the investigation toward an unlikely explanation. That's what you're seeing on your screen right now. Our investigative reporter, Eric Leonard, has been reporting on this story for months. He joins us live right now with what he has found out. Eric. Hi, Colleen. We've spent the better part of a year looking into all kinds of leads and tips about this alleged jetpack man that was first reported near LAX over a year ago. And we've been hearing rumors about the existence of this photo you're seeing, but it wasn't until the last few months that we learned the picture had been taken by the LAPD. And it's now a central clue in the mystery being investigated by the FBI and FAA. This photo, captured by LAPD officers from a police helicopter, shows a human-shaped figure appearing to float thousands of feet in the air over the Holmby Hills and Hollywood Hills. On closer examination, it appears to be a life-sized inflatable toy, possibly a Jack Skellington character from the movie The Nightmare Before Christmas. The reason this photo is so significant is that after it was given to federal investigators, they began to look at the possibility that a human-shaped inflatable is is what the jetliner pilots had been seeing. And that fits with some other findings, that it was all but impossible for someone to have flown a homemade actual jetpack into the LAX approach path, then vanish without anyone seeing it land or crash, that whatever the objects were never appeared on radar, and that no one other than the reporting pilots ever saw the objects. The FBI and FAA have confirmed this kind of human-shaped inflatable is one of the possible explanations for the sightings. The agencies told me today one working theory is that pilots might have seen balloons. Well, there you have Interesting. it. I saw that last week and I couldn't help but thinking of all of us as I laughed to myself. It was like, after all that. <laughs> It's balloons. It's a freaking it's a balloon. balloon. <laughs> That's probably why it didn't show up on radar. Yeah, and and the photos that they were talking about. And thanks again for the NBC for uh, I team here in Los Angeles for uh, you know producing this story uh, because we've been curious. We've been kept keeping an eye on out, and yeah. it's a, kind of a running joke when you're on approach in LAX. Yeah. I'm like, keep an eye out for a jetpack man, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, even the BBC. Uh, carried the story. I'll put a link in the show notes for the BBC article, which That's mirrors awesome. the same thing. That it was a probably a balloon that you know Jack Skellington kind of thing uh, going on, a character from a film. Uh, but yeah, it's it, now that the information about the radar return never produced anything. How can somebody mm -hmm. disappear? No one saw a person landing. You know, it, it makes sense. Now, the one thing I did disagree with especially in the BBC article at the end of it, it says that, you know, a balloon uh, generally will be harmless to airplanes. If it had metal uh, parts on it, maybe it could destroy an engine, but generally a balloon is harmless. Well, that's not true, especially if it's a Mylar balloon, because yeah. if that gets ingested into an, an engine, even, even a balloon that's not Mylar, um, that gets caught between the fan blades that can cause an overheating, that could catch fire, that could be ingested, and then... I mean, that could absolutely destroy a jet Center engine. Center a probe and throw a computer off, and yep. next thing you know, your plane thinks it's stalling, but it's really not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, definitely uh, uh, kind of disappointing, <laughs> I think. Yeah. I was hoping to yeah, get something Yeah, it would have been kind of neat to, to catch somebody like Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, I've been testing this thing out here, just wondering. How well a, it works. I was on no. a drunken sprawl. I was pissed at Joe Biden, so I got on a jetpack. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, let's go Biden shirt on the on the guy. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. I thought the guy the jetpack uh, balloon looked like an alien. You know, just like the the, yeah. the shape of the body and you know the stereotypical uh, yeah uh, silhouette of an alien. But uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and yeah. I want to know where to where can I buy one of these things. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, dude, that that's got those things got to be literally no pun intended flying off the shelves. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> well, uh, at this point, uh, anyway. we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. All right. From Flight 94. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are back. Well, we've been talking about all kinds of things from solo flights around the world, the Jetpack Man, and now recently the American Airlines company has announced something pretty crazy. Now, we've been talking about premium pay and red flag trips and super critical coverage here in the, in the past with some of our guests over at sister companies and, uh, you know, Sandpiper with their super premium 300% pay for pilots that pick up critical coverage, super critical coverage uh, trips. And of course, you know, when you see a trip like that and go, wait a minute, I'm getting paid 300% to just go fly my regular trip. Of course. Right. So there are those of us that say, no, you know, you should kind of curb that and only pick up what you absolutely should, you know, fly and, and don't go overboard because there are pilots out there that may, you know, they need a job. So, you know, make the company hire more pilots instead of throwing band-aids out there and offering pilots more money to go pick up these trips. And of course they're trying. The company was proposed over at Legacy to hire what, 2000 pilots here on 2022, um, which yeah. is, is a good chunk of change. Uh, and that takes time. So what do we do in the interim? Well, I know what they're doing over there at American in an article by CNN Business by Ramesh Maruf, the American Airlines increased flight attendant holiday pay after an operational meltdown. We all kind of heard about what happened during Halloween over there at American Airlines. They had to cancel many flights, hundreds. And in this article, they explain how American has decided to combat that. American Airlines is giving flight attendants who work during the holidays a one-time holiday pay premium, the company announced in an internal memo. The increased holiday pay comes after an operational meltdown during Halloween weekend, which forced the airline to cancel not hundreds, but thousands of flights, partly due to staffing shortage. Oh, I guess it wasn't weather after all. Go figure. Yeah. Flight attendants who work between November 23rd and November 29th and December 22nd to January 2nd, will receive a 150% premium, according to an internal memo viewed by CNN. Those with no absences between November 15th to January 2nd will receive an even higher premium of 300% for the hours they work during the peak holiday period. On the schedule front, 
we've ensured that November and December are built to meet customer demand and that they are fully supportable by our staff, Chief Operating Officer David Seymour said in an internal staff note viewed by CNN. American anticipates that 4,000 new team members will be joining the company in the fourth quarter and that the airline will have 600 new flight attendant hires by the end of December. Nearly 1,800 flight attendants have returned from leaves in November and 800 more will return in December, the staff note said. American said that the company has 24,000 flight attendants right now. American furloughed 8,000 flight attendants during the pandemic when it anticipated federal aid for airline workers expiring. From pandemic-related changes to the way we must do business, including mask and other travel requirements, to a small minority of customers who caused disturbances, the last 20 months have been incredibly challenging for many personally and professionally, Seymour said. American blamed last week's operational meltdown on bad weather in Dallas-Fort Worth and a shortage of pilots and flight attendants. Airline unions say staff are at a breaking point. And Rob, over there yeah. at Legacy Airlines, where we are, we, we follow a lot of the similar stresses. So yes. this is an interesting article. It goes on to say it more is. about the unions and, and some happy-go-lucky comments from their internal management staff over there at that yeah. uh, company there at American. So what do you think? Do you think that uh, offering this super critical 150% pay, but as long as you don't call in sick or, or have a problem hmm. in that period, that you will actually get rewarded with 300% pay? I mean, that's yeah. a pretty hefty see, thing. Yeah. I, I have, I mean, you know, I, I see it as a, a two-way street. You know, this is, this is first of all, just a Band-Aid for, you know, the bigger problem, which like we kind of mentioned or like it alluded into in the article, which is staffing. You know, they need, they need more people to work the flights. The schedule that they have built, um, they're, they're not capable of, of sustaining that. Um, when things go wrong, like it did over Halloween, you know, Halloween, um, we had that weather event in Dallas where the winds just were, were crazy. Uh, you can listen to our other, uh, I forget what podcast we we did. I think it was 93 that, um, we talked about the winds, which caused all kinds of cancellations and delays. So initially the weather was the cause, but you know, it, it ultimately became a staffing issue because, the airline wasn't be able was unable to repair its schedule because they couldn't get the people to the airplanes or vice versa the airplanes to the people, which is basically a staffing thing. And you know, it, from a passenger standpoint, it doesn't matter. You know, and what matters is you know that they need to get from point A to point B, and that you know while they're inconvenienced, that they're properly accommodated. Well, if the airline blames it on weather then they're not liable to offer any kind of accommodations to their passengers because it's a mother nature event. Well, when you read the article, they, they say, Hey, it's, it's staffing. So it's actually the airline's fault. And in that, that case, if a flight was canceled due to staffing or mechanical problems, then that's when they're, they have to offer the passengers, um, uh, you know, accommodations, yeah, but this is an industry wide thing. Yeah. 
you know, Southwest does it, Delta, Delta does it, they'll blame it on weather. And then, you know, they won't offer anything. So anyway, uh, I digress. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's just a bandaid for the, uh, for the real issue, which is they need, they need to run a better schedule. They need to be able to repair it quicker and better. And they need to have more people available. 300% is great. Capitalize when you can. Um, I believe they need to negotiate a better um, scheduling and, and, um, you know, pay, especially around holidays. Yeah. You know, when more people are traveling, Um, because right now it's kind of hard to believe (laughs) we don't get anything extra to fly on holidays. Whereas you look at almost every other industry, you know, you're making time and a half or whatever. So. Yeah, and in my previous career as as a retail manager for a multi-billion-dollar international company, that uh, I don't know if we've talked about that in the past, but I worked for a big box retailer, and the contract, the employee contract, had five days where the the company was closed on those five national holidays, and on those days you were you'd stay at home and you got a full day's pay whether you're full-time, part-time, it was all calculated. And the way they did it was, I thought, one of the smartest things that I've ever heard of. And what they did is, okay, you're going to get paid on that holiday. And if you call in sick the day before or the, the, your last day before the holiday, or you call in sick the first day returning from the holiday, so even if you had the holiday and then the next day off, and then on the third day you you were supposed to work a shift, if you called in sick on that shift the first day back, uh, then you would forfeit the holiday pay. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, they offered anyone that was picking up a shift during the holiday the time and a half pay. So there were, of course, certain holidays like Christmas and New Year's. We were like, okay, everybody stay home, but if you needed to restock your shelves, especially the day after Christmas or the day, you know, after Christmas Eve, the store was just tore up and they needed everybody to help come in, clean up, fold clothes, put away merchandise um, and get the company or the retailer back to an acceptable level of cleanliness and organization for the next day's business. So they'd ask a, a skeleton crew to come in and they'd pay them premium pay. And I always thought that at an airline, when, you know, people, the most important time of the year is when those few moments where you're going on a holiday to go see Nana, right? So, like you said, the passengers don't care if there's weather. They don't care if there's a shortage or you're dealing with pandemic issues. They just want to go see Nana. And they paid for their their ticket that left, they're supposed to leave at 5 o'clock from their home airport and get to Nana's house by seven, then damn it, that's what they want. They don't really care about the excuses. So I always thought that, you know, if you were on reserve, you're always going to work the holiday because there's going to be a a good number of staff that's going to call in sick or find some way to get out of flying or drop a trip or whatever. And so everyone was going to be working and they were inevitably going to run out of pilots, flight attendants, rampers, gate agents, whatever it is in the, in the industry, they were going to run out because, you know, that that's just a nature of the beast. And I always thought, well, why not just tell anybody that says, Hey, if you're flying during this time period, like they've just announced, if they made that a permanent thing where anyone flying on that week gets 150% pay just in the contract, that's it. 
And if you call in sick, you forfeit that from your guarantee. I don't think they'd have as many people calling in sick because, again, it's an opportunity to make a little cash. And I think that would improve the dynamics of the operation and then minimize the opportunity for lost revenue and lost flying and misconnects and all that stuff. Yeah. So it, it is a Band-Aid, um, but hopefully they'll see enough success with it that maybe in a future contract, that'll just be built in. That if you fly during those yeah. two or three weeks during the year, you're going to get a little extra premium. I think it would actually save the company more money than it would lose. Yeah. Because when you call in sick, you're still getting paid from your sick bank, right? Yeah. And now you got to, you know, yep. the other pilot's getting paid too that's recovering from your your sick call. So you're, you're double paying somebody to offer 150% yeah. pay to just fly the trip. You're saving money in that case. So yeah, yeah it, it's definitely something that uh, we're watching closely this year because we are yeah. trying to recover. Companies are trying to hire the subcontractors as, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, uh, all the third party contractors, below wing services, above wing services, fuelers, deicers, all the, these people are all contracted out. Those companies yeah. are also trying to hire, but with yeah. anything, it takes time to train, get certified, you know, and have everybody yeah. up, up to speed. Pass all the DOT and security checks and all that stuff. Yep. Did I, um, I think I saw something that what I think it was American was, was there some kind of plan or something I saw that they were going to try and hire 400 pilots in the span of a month or something too? Oh, I didn't see that. I saw that too. I, I saw it somewhere. I, I didn't receive anything. Um, actually, maybe I did, but uh, in, internal company memo. I think it was mentioned in a internal podcast from one of our higher ups. But yeah, I, I don't, that's, I can't, there's no way that they could do that. <laughs> just, I thought 400 I, by the end of the it year. It was just a headline that I saw at some point yeah. and i thought that it said something about american and, and maybe it wasn't american i don't maybe it was united i don't i don't remember that no, somebody wanted american. to hire some obscene amount of pilots in the span of a, a really shorter amount of time but maybe yeah i don't know maybe i was dreaming yeah i haven't well, i haven't seen that. i think they are too if, they, if that's what they did then again, I've been on vacation, so uh, to, the last thing I'm going to look that. into that and find. Like, I didn't actually click on it; it was just something yeah. that I saw scrolling through some headlines at one point. But I'll yeah. do some research on that. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'd be worth it. I, I, I don't hear anything I back from that. It was it. it was my mistake. <laughs> yeah. No, I I heard it though. I've I've heard it also. So it, it's it's some curious because you know what. <laughs> You know, I just always find it hard to believe that all of a sudden we're going to find 400 pilots and go, hey, let's come to American. You know what I mean? It's just. Yeah. 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 And a legacy and I hear is trying to do the same thing. I do. Actually, I've heard that too. I've heard legacy is trying to, <laughs> trying to do something similar to that. I don't know about 400, but, you know, yeah, they're yeah. looking under rocks yeah. and we looking a, under airplane wings and trying to find we pilots. Need all the you know, help but we, we scurry get. around like little cockroaches every time. You know, that yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right on man well rob uh you know you're on your layover right now and, yes and you're gonna have an opportunity from what we talked about earlier to go out and hang out with your crew and get dinner what is that all yeah. about 
That's crazy, right? So this is this has been a, a crazy three day, and I don't know if you've had this on any of your sequences. So we started with this crew yesterday, uh, which is day one of a three day. Now normally, you know, everybody's on a weird schedule, so you maybe fly with them in maybe one or two flights, and then everybody goes on their own way, or we end up at the same ho- uh, same overnight, and everybody goes to a different hotel. Um, and this is a weird one. So we started with them yesterday, did a port of IR to turn, came back to Dallas, then Dallas to New Orleans, spent the night in New Orleans, same hotel, then flew New Orleans to Dallas this morning. However, the cabin crew did New Orleans to Charlotte, and they are meeting here in Fort uh in Fort Myers uh right now. I mean, they landed like an hour ago. So we all talked about it yesterday. Let's all meet at five o'clock and we're going to go out to dinner because we didn't really have a chance yesterday. And tomorrow we're going to fly together, uh, Fort Myers to Charlotte and Charlotte back to Dallas. So we're going to finish the trip together. Uh, and, and we only really did one or two flights, uh, differently. So. Yeah. What what do you think this is? Piper? Right. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. So yeah, we're going to get going and going to meet them over, uh, meet them for dinner. So they're a bunch of, uh, four really, really good flight attendants. So, um, they've taken care of the passengers really well and yeah. doing an outstanding job as our representatives in the cabin. Good. No, no <laughs> physical uh, altercations on any of your trips this past week. <laughs> no, none at all. Everybody's been, um, been very uh, happy and fun and um pretty much had an online op- on-time operation this week so wow. it's been good nice yeah man well good yeah. well, well you know i'm sorry to have you to leaving us a little early but go have fun yeah by all means and give all my right. regards to your crew that's fantastic all right well thanks for having me and um look forward to the next one and you guys uh fly safe i know you're not going to fly for how much longer, Tony? You're on vacation. Well, I'm on vacation but, till Sunday, so another five days. Okay. But uh, I will put myself on that premium list Monday morning, and I'm sure something will come up. <laughs> well, there you go. So enjoy the rest of your vacation. <laughs> uh, enjoy the R and R and time you have with the family. Roger shakes and, his head. Um, <laughs> Roger <laughs> yeah. shakes his head. <laughs> <laughs> I need to, Roger. All right, take care. Enjoy Rob. your time and ha- fly safely, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. All right, uh, have a good one. See you, Rob. Later. All right, bunny or uh, no, just seizing the opportunity. Is that is that what you're calling it? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you know we'll get that into the contract. You know, let me show them how productive I can be. And have you noticed that when you pick up premium trips, or at least when you were at the airlines and you pick up a, a time and a half trip, that you're always flying plan and not full steam ahead, but when it's go home leg, it's full steam ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I picked up this trip on premium. Okay, how slow do you want me to fly? You want just be on time. I'm like, okay, not a minute early. You got it. And then you're taxing it a half mile an hour again. Hey, that only happens at the best airlines. Safety first, my friend. Safety first. Well, in another pandemic milestone, the U.S. has ended its international travel ban, opening the door to vaccinated tourists. This from an article from CNBC by Leslie Josephs, dated November 8th, 2021. In the article, 
the key points are that the old rules that barred international visitors from 33 countries, including the UK, South Africa, Brazil, and much of Europe, has ended. Airlines, hotels, and others stand to benefit from the end of the restrictions, and visitors will have to show just a proof of vaccination to enter the U.S. along with a recent negative COVID-19 test. And this has really been one of the top stories with aviation, is getting this international travel back. That's going to take pilots that have been sitting at home collecting their you know, minimum monthly guarantee, not really flying much because they're wide body pilots and, and those aircraft are primarily used for international travel. Well, now they're going to start to see an uptick in their schedules and flying. The United States on Monday ended a pandemic travel ban that was in place for more than a year and a half. A relief from the tourist industry and for families that have been separated by the rules since the crisis began. At New York's JFK International Airport, passengers who arrived from London on British Airways Flight 1 were greeted by applause from airline employees and balloons. Some business travelers said that they are ready to ditch the video calls for an in-person meeting at work. We've been desperate for two years to get out and see our staff, said Giles English, co-founder of luxury watchmaker Vermont, which has a store in Midtown Manhattan. English told CNBC shortly after arriving at JFK on British Airways Flight 1 that video technology is amazing, but I think face-to-face is so important. Another passenger, Catherine Donnelly, 52, of London, who flew in on that flight, said she hadn't been in New York for more than two years and that she was eager to visit her aunt who had been ill. The ban put in place by then-President Donald Trump in early 2020, and later expanded by President Joe Biden earlier this year, prohibits visitors from 33 countries, including the UK, much of Europe, China, Brazil, and South Africa. So this is going to really open up a lot of this international flying. And Roger, even for you, if your aircraft owners decide, well, here we are, I mean, you just came back from Italy. And that was a fantastic uh, international trip that, that you had conducted. But wasn't the travel ban going on back then, too? How did you get around that? So, so well, this is something that international travelers are going to be very happy about. And that's, um, I, can, I can say that with, I, I guess, firsthand knowledge of the situation because what actually the ban was was a, it was a US ban to international travelers and so it wasn't a reciprocal thing because we were able to go over to most of Europe like i spent that that trip that you were talking about that we went to we stayed in Ireland we stayed in Croatia and we stayed in Italy and then um, did a stop through Ireland again but didn't stay and so each one of those countries for two weeks before we left, I was checking all the time about whether their specific requirements were going to change. And all of them allowed U.S. travelers to enter into their countries. But the vice, the vice versa was not true. And so while we could go over to these countries and visit, they, those same countries could not come over and visit the U.S. And there was, I, w- I wouldn't say there was anger about it, but there was definitely frustration um, from people from those countries that, well, you know, that's that's great that you're here. We have no problem with you being here. And like I said, there was no anger, but we we weren't um, 
they weren't upset with us, but like, why is it that we are not allowed back in your country? And you know, what, what we, what I, or what our group would tell them is like, we, we don't know, we don't understand. Yeah. And fortunately this is what's going to, um, basically make level the playing field. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, I, I thought it was a pretty cool video. Um, it was just yesterday that this took, took, um, took effect. And there was a couple of British air, uh, British airways. I think they're both three fifties Airbuses that took off simultaneously from Heathrow on their way to JFK. And so there's this parallel takeoff of these two planes. They're taking off in tandem, both of them on their way to celebrate the fact that we were, we were indeed opening, um, or ending up ending that travel restriction again. Yeah. And the holidays in New York are fantastic. So come on over everyone. <laughs> this is a fantastic time of year to come. And it, I, I'm excited that finally, I mean, we originally at the beginning of this whole pandemic, we were talking about this, you know, this COVID-19 thing, uh, it's going to only last a few months. And because that was the formula from everything that happened before. Zika virus. Oh, what happened? Oh, when you heard about it for about two months, everything kind of got, uh, everybody needs a vaccine or whatever, or a shot. And okay. And then you never heard about Zika virus anymore. And before that, it was like the swine flu. And before that, it was a, what was that? Foot and mouth with a cow disease. I mean, and it would, everything would always last around two or three months. It would be the headline of every news article. And then it would slowly kind of just fade away. And then, oh, the risk has gone away. And we actually thought, this was going to be something like that, that, you know, the, in aviation, we, we have to like shut it down for a few months and then we'll slowly start bringing it back. Even 9-11, uh, though that hit the industry extremely hard for a long time because the rollback was very, very slow because of this fear that the public had to go flying. We had no idea that this was how the pandemic was going to turn out. And here we are. A year and a half later, uh, we've been very fortunate to have this financial uh, government relief that the companies were able to take advantage of and keep the staff on uh, with the company, with the few exception of flight attendants that were furloughed, but then they're still getting paid to stay home because the needs of the company weren't there. So they were they had to get paid. They weren't technically on furlough, but they were they were at home collecting uh, some kind of stipend to come back as soon as the company was ready for them. And now it's like the punt has been (laughs) play has been uh, started and get everybody back now because this uh, international travel is definitely going to play a major factor in how many flights we have available, how full they're going to be. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing more international flying come into the U S and to see growth in our schedules. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how 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 the demand for for trans oceanic travel rebounds. I'm sure that initially we'll probably, especially like you had just kind of mentioned, this time of year, I think that there's an uptick in travel overall. Um, but especially, you know, what it's going to look like from coming really east to west because that has been shut down to them for a really long time. We'll just yeah. You know, we'll just put it that way. Yeah. Um, and like you had mentioned, obviously that's going to have a pretty, it could have a fairly substantial impact on the, the legacy carries, especially uh, United 
I know had a, a had a I think probably the biggest proportion of their um their their international revenue coming from this stuff, in which case it shrank yeah. by huge, huge amounts. But Yeah. As long as everyone behaves. Well, yeah, and that's a totally <laughs> different discussion entirely. Yeah. No, well, we're all we're all looking forward to seeing what this means for our aviation careers to see the opportunities, as we mentioned in the very last episode with uh, Colonel Stu- uh, Schooler. Uh, Terry was talking about all these opportunities for veterans to get into airline positions and how they're hiring. And, and I have a feeling that there's going to be a flood uh, coming into the marketplace of opportunity for jobs for airlines, uh, not just airlines, but for really every facet of the industry that they're going to be hiring. So yeah, let's, I think by New Year's, we're going to start to see the effects of this international travel ban uh, being lifted. Yeah. I mean, from staff, from a staffing standpoint, I don't think that, you know, for the U.S. companies, they were hiring before um, all the airlines and, and this will only you know, possibly accelerate it. And, and I guess somewhat talking, you know, talking about what you guys were mentioning before about how do, how do we write the, the schedules? Um, you know, cause obviously you start putting more flights in internationally. If that does happen, then, you know, if you don't have the staffing before, how are you going to add more flights? Right. And you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm Go not on. an airline CEO, <laughs> you know, but, uh, there, I mean, there's definitely going to be some challenges with all the pros. There is going to come come some of the cons, and hopefully those things will all get worked through. And there's a lot of, even outside of, you know, obviously we talk about aviation primarily on this podcast. I mean, but that, it, you even see that across the entire world right now with with supply chains and, and staffing and, and everybody hiring and not being able to find workers. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just... Let's hope that this really is the beginning of a return to normalcy. And, uh, you know, I think the whole, the whole pandemic thing is, <laughs> I hate to say it because we've said it so many times, but I think it's winding down, man. I think, I think we're starting to see that with the new protocols in place and the vac- vaccination rates and people wearing masks and not wearing masks and all that stuff, you know, the, the, the phobia of it all, I think, is slowly starting to deteriorate. And that's, I think, good to make wise decisions and, you know, make smart decisions for your family and live a normal life. I I hope that we can get through the winter. You know, I'm a little bit concerned about the winter with with the colder weather, because um, obviously the colder weather, there's an uptick just in general with illness, with airborne illnesses yeah. and um, people being in more confined places, I guess. And, um, hopefully I think that if we can get to the other side of winter, then, then I will, I'll, I'll, I will feel even better about this winding down. Well, just protect yourself against the white walkers because winter is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of, speaking of uh, white walkers and winter is coming, you know, recently I discovered through, I was flying with a captain who said, Hey, have you seen this movie or read this book? And I, I thought, no, he was like, oh, you have to read the book. And if you can't, just it's free on YouTube. You can watch the entire movie on YouTube. And I, and I thought, really? 
you don't have to pay. It's not like a subscription thing or you have to have YouTube uh, channel that you have to pay for. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, it's totally free. There's a lot of aviation films, old black and white aviation films, absolutely free on YouTube. Um, you might have to watch them in parts. They might be split up, but I had no idea. And one day I was kind of bored and I pulled out my tablet and I went to YouTube and I keyed in Fate is the Hunter, a 1964 film. And it came up and I watched it. It was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I love old movies. I mean, I have a passion for for film to begin with, but to watch this old black and white film, it's about uh, an airplane that crashes on takeoff uh, or slightly after takeoff and causes the death of 53 people. But who is to blame? Uh, it's the job of Sam Bain, played by Glenn Ford, to find out, especially since the pilot was his good friend. The authorities believe that he may have been drunk during the flight. Those damn pilots. Knowing of the pilot's exemplary World War II record, Sam goes on the search for the true culprit with the aid of the lone survivor, stewardess Martha Weber, played by Suzanne Plichette. And they actually reenact the events of the accident in the film. And that is really the only way they discovered what really happened. The film is great. It's a little cheesy in parts because, you know, of course, in the modern age of film, we expect, you know, the kind of a more robust plot line and not so many one-liners, but <laughs> the film was fantastic. And I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I want to at least play parts of the trailer. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On behalf of Captain Savage and the crew, I'd like to welcome you aboard Consolidated Flight 22. Captain Savage. Our flying time to Seattle will be two hours and ten minutes at an altitude of 29,000 feet. Expect the unexpected. You're taking off on a flight you'll remember as long as you live. Here is the inside story of an airline pilot in this jet age and the men and women behind the scenes who literally hold your fate in their hands. Glenn Ford, who fought to prove his friend a hero when his critics called him a heel. Nancy Kwan, the beautiful Chinese girl who changed the pilot's life and her own. Rod Taylor, who held the key to all their lives. Suzanne Plachette, how much did love play in her decision? Wally Cox, who owed him more than he could tell. And Jane Russell, who started a private war of her own. Their intimate lives, their many loves, their secret passions are revealed in the greatest suspense picture of this jet age. Let's face it, Sam, Jack wasn't the so-called ideal image to begin with. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, a bachelor like that? Well, it just so happens that I am a bachelor, too. You are not a line pilot. From all I know, last year, you didn't bounce from a stripper to an heiress to I don't know what else. Yeah, not quite uh, politically correct uh, <laughs> in this day and age, but, you know, <laughs> what most old films were not. Um, but, you know, it's not offensive, I, I didn't think, in any way. It was a really fantastic film um, and really interesting. Uh, they they did a great job. It had that whole like black and white Alfred Hitchcock kind of feel and the music, you know, that swells throughout all the the passionate scenes where they're looking longingly in each other's eyes and 
and that really good looking Chinese girl. <laughs> I kept saying that in the preview and throughout the film. <laughs> you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, a, I guess, in a way, of the, the whole Soleil thing, except this was, you know, obviously fictionalized, but we had this accident and then they go back and it's, it's we're trying to recreate it. It's best, like, what exactly happened and what could we have done better? You know, just like a, a real life thing where we had something that happened and then they go back, in this case, into the simulators. Okay, let's try and recreate exactly what happened and what could we have done better? Um, it's kind of, I, I, to me, striking, a little eerily striking on on the similarities on just on how how we went back and had this one thing happen and then we go back and we try to recreate uh, exactly what happened, kind of trying to, you know, almost Monday morning quarterbacking. Well, yeah. What could we have done better? Yeah, all the Even armchair experts sit there. A lot of these things there. that happened, like these are not things that are going to happen again. I mean, what are we going to take from from this or what are we going to take from Sully? It's like, what are the chances of that happening in the same spot again are like none. Yeah, but we, but. you know, changes. And, and if you watch the film, the last five minutes are fantastic because changes to the industry come written in blood. And that, that's what this film really does a fantastic job depicting is how when an accident happens in real life, uh, what is the process to eliminate the cause to something that can be prevented from happening again? Was it some pilot that was hot dogging it or drunk or, or, you know, or was it truly a, mechanical failure or a procedural uh, issue that caused the incident or accident. And this film in 1964 hit the nail on the head. And of course it's an adaptation from a book. Um, actually, let me find out. Should we stop serving pilots coffee on the flight deck? <laughs> so you've seen it. Yes. Uh, they need to be in a sippy cup. According to what happened over in, uh, what was it? England? Uh, the British Airways, that the Airbus, they can no longer have liquids. Remember when that happened? And the uh, the three Air three thirty or A three fifty airplane was modified. The start stop selector switches. Oh, I did not hear about that. Oh no, no. Uh, let's see here. First, let me find. Well, this film is an adaptation from the book Fate is a Hunter. It's a 1961 memoir by aviation writer Ernest K. Gann. It describes his years working as a pilot from 1930 to 1950, starting at American Airlines in Douglas DC-2s and Douglas DC-3s, when civilian air transport was in its infancy, moving on to wartime flying in C-54s, C-87s, and Lockheed Lodestars. And finally, at Matson Navigation's short-lived upstart airline and various post-World War II non-scheduled airlines in a Douglas DC-4. Fate is the Hunter, first edition, published date 1961. So, you know, if you're into reading the novel or the book, uh, I would definitely pick that up on Amazon. A great read, especially if you're a commuter. Why don't you throw that in your flight bag there? And then there is, of course, this black and white film, Hollywood film. Now, this film, and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but uh, we kind of alluded to... Um, Maybe we shouldn't uh, serve pilots coffee on the flight deck anymore. Blasphemy. Blasphemy, I say. But then again, does life imitate art or is it the other way around? 
you know, you say that, but recently, not long ago, back in September of 2020, we were talking about how the Airbus has to spill proof the A350 because coffee spilled in the cockpit and shut down both engines in flight. And this is uh, something that happened over at British Airways. And I remember reading this and they were talking about, well, the coffee is kind of a must. Let's just give the pilots sippy cups. So <laughs> what ended up happening was a pilot uh, set down his cup of coffee on the center pedestal. Big no-no, by the way. Um, it's dubbed the liquid free zone for a reason. We do our best never to, but it happens, but it happens. Somebody put it, knocked it over and it actually seeped into the area where the start stop selectors for the engines are. And it shorted out really both switches making the A350 engines shut down in flight. Um, there's a whole article about this. Um, I'll just put a link in the show notes. But yeah, <laughs> coincidence? Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of funny all the things that you know people don't know about, like the stupid stuff like coffee or or water. I mean, obviously coffee with a bigger, you know, in a styrofoam cup or something, and how much havoc these things can wreak. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've been saying that I need to, and I just I just need to shut up and do it. I need to develop, engineer, and patent a spill-proof coffee cup, coffee cup that actually fits in a freaking Airbus coffee cup holder because those things are designed for European size, I guess, coffee cups that are on the back of the airplane, which are tiny, and you know, you're you're. So you're having to find somewhere else to put them down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, sippy cups for coffee. I'm telling you, it's the way to go. Be a man or be a woman. Who needs coffee? Speak for yourself, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that concludes our flight today. As our flight is drawing to an end, we would like to thank all of you for coming along on this journey with us. A very special thank you to Captain Roger and Rob D for joining us today. Please help us out by sharing this podcast online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even audio feedback via our website at aviatortony.com. Dot com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee, dot com. There you'll find audio archives, photos from the flight line, a guest book photo tab, and our Squawk Ident pilot shop, where you can find an assortment of t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. Small proceeds from every sale goes towards helping to finance this podcast. You can also contribute to Squawk Ident financially right there from the homepage. Every dollar helps. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under the Squawk Ident Podcast or at Squawk Ident Podcast. Also, a big final thank you to Rob D. and Captain Roger for joining me today. And thank you to you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Be safe and take care of each other. Have a good one, everyone. Bye safe. Take care.